The reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. <clears throat> Paul uses his freedom. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. The need for self-discipline. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, uh, Victoria. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, Mike. And um, I just want to reassure you, we don't at all mind news at 10 prayers, but as a, a Scottish rugby fan, can I thank you for not including the sports news? <laughs> congratulations to you. <laughs> okay, so um, we've heard today's passage. I don't know about you, but I think it's a pretty striking one. But just as a bit of fun, I wonder what film springs to mind as you hear it, okay? Think of something. You've heard Paul's words. Now, if you were to go for a film title and you really knew your films, you probably would go for this. There we go. Traditional version of the passage, all things to all men, Paul's famous words. But if you were to go for a film scene, well that reflects the general concept, well, I wonder whether you would agree with me. So this is the one that I chose.
there we go. Right, is it a good choice? Well, here's what it's got to recommend it. Running, obviously, and uh, in the rest of the film, of course, plenty of boxing too. So that's the two dominant metaphors done, check. The clear focus and the clear goal, check. Adapting to the context, overcoming any terrain or hurdle. Well, shortly after we paused it, he's leaping over fences and things, so that's check. Hard work and perseverance, check. An inspiring effect on others as they join him, check. All in all, I think it's a pretty good parallel. I hope you agree. But whilst the story of Rocky of Philadelphia is fiction, the story of Paul of Tarsus most definitely is not. And in this passage, we're confronted by his example and his goal. And the question it begs of us all is this. What are we aiming for? For was Paul as single-minded, as determined, as committed as Sylvester Stallone in that film? Of course he was. But whereas no one would claim that uh, we're all called to boxing as Christians, as far as Paul's Paul's goal is concerned, Well, as Christians, we most definitely are. So as you look back on your life as a Christian so far, what goal have you been aiming for? And as you look ahead to the rest of your life, what goal will you go for now? For let's be clear, it's all still up for grabs. God still has plans for you. His ambitions for your life have not ended. The question is, have yours. So today I want to address this biggest of questions. The question that drives everything else. And to do so on two levels. First, us as a church, as St. Paul's. And second, as we finish, as individuals as well. But first, let's pray. Father God, might we be ready to receive this message and the challenge of Paul's example and words. We confess our reluctance. We confess we default to living in our bubble, keeping the good news to ourselves. We pray that you would reconnect today with what deep down are our own aspirations, our own sense of calling, and so connect us with your goal and with your heart for our lives and our church. Amen. Okay, on with the sermon and the passage itself, first of all. And uh, Paul starts with the buzzword, uh, or one of the buzzwords of both 1st century Corinth and 21st century Britain, which you've probably picked up over the last few weeks, freedom. Just as in last week's passage, he began, am I not free? He starts ours with, though I am free. But as with that other great apostle, Peter, It's freedom for a purpose, 
Peter put it like this in his first letter. Live like free people and do not use your freedom as an excuse for doing evil. Instead, live as God's servant. Which means, of course, choosing to do his will. And that's a goal Paul clearly also shares. And I think this captures the essence of why God made human beings. He didn't want automatons. So he gave us our freedom. But he did it so that we would choose to please him, to worship and to serve him. Because that's what gives him pleasure. And he knows that's what gives us pleasure too. So he put put that desire to do that deep down within us, knowing the blessings and joy it would bring. And that's why, for example, in Psalm 37 verse 4, it tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. For doing God's will and sharing God's heart fulfills and rewards us. There's no greater purpose and there's no greater privilege. It's what we were made for. And it's the best thing for ourselves, our families, our communities, and our world. And his will and his heart is to save everyone who will receive him. Continuing the mission of Jesus who totally, utterly devoted himself to exactly that. Indeed, it's the very purpose for which the world was made. To bring God a people for himself. A huge number of people who would love him and serve him and share that love with the world. So Paul expresses that purpose in our passage in a number of ways. And it sort of repeats itself, the the phrases. Verse 19, to win as many as possible. Verse 20 and 21, to win the Jews, those under the law. Verse 21, to win those not having the law. That's the like of you and me. Verse 22, to win the weak, whoever in any particular circumstance or in a particular issue that might be. Put it all together, and it's clear that he wants to reach everyone. It's the very reason he sent Jesus into the world, as John 3.16 tells us. So that's the goal, and on that, Paul is absolutely fixed, isn't he? Nothing else really matters, just as Rocky was fixed on his goal. So Paul knows what his goal is too, and knows that though people's role in that mission, and each of our roles in that mission might vary, we've got different gifts, different callings, but the overall goal of taking the gospel to the world is the same for us all. In it we find our place and our purpose, for it's the goal of the body, led by our head, which is Jesus, as chapter 12 of our letter will tell us, in which every member plays their part. The Old Testament predicted it. Think back to the promise to Abraham that all people of the world will be blessed by him, repeated to Moses, to David, and others. And Jesus commanded it, saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's what we were made for. It's what we were saved for. It's our greatest privilege and our greatest joy. So that's the goal. 
the ends is fixed. And that's the first thing that I want us to take from this passage and from Paul's example. But the second is equally important. And it's this, that the method, the means, the way we go about getting there is not fixed. For Paul's intentionality is so striking, so challenging and inspiring, isn't it? But so too is this, his flexibility, his adaptability, fitting in with those that he's seeking to talk to and reach so that he can connect that unchanging gospel with the people in front of him, without which his goal would never have been fulfilled. But what does Paul do to ensure that he can share that good news so effectively? What does he do? Well, he told us he adapts to his context, becoming all things to all people, so that all possible means I might save some. Which is that versatility and that love through all circumstances that we truly need. And we do it by adjusting to the culture that we find ourselves in, to the preferences and to the values of those that we seek to reach. Removing unnecessary barriers to faith whilst retaining the power and truth of the gospel itself. So Paul became like a Jew to reach the Jews, like a Gentile to reach the Gentiles. And in our context, well, here's just an example. We become like a child to reach the children using their language and culture. We become like an older person engaging with their perspective and preferences to reach them. And we do the same for every other age group. Indeed, for those of any background, in any category. Even if the language and traditions of Christianity to that particular group are largely unknown. For what matters is what works. And what works is what connects and communicates the good news effectively. In language people understand, through metaphors people understand, and ultimately for reasons people understand, expressed in a manner that they find compelling, attractive, and warm. We can all do it. We can do it on an individual level, and we can do it in our groups, we can do it in up front in occasions like this as well. It's hard work, it's challenging, we have to think about what we're doing. But through God's spirit and the wisdom he gives us, we can do it. And we do it out of love, in gratitude for his love for us. And as an expression of our love back to him. So that's the message of the passage, reinforced by the metaphors that follow. The runner, single-minded in his pursuit of the prize. And the boxer, not punching aimlessly, but adapting and responding to the challenge in front of him, which is us seeking to connect with those that we're with. Intentionality and flexibility, the qualities that we all need. So that's the passage. How do we apply this then? And as I promised in the intro, we'll start with the church at St. Paul's, if we're to fulfill our calling and win others for Jesus, what strategies do we need? And the starting point for this needs to be stated, because so many forget this. 
we have to prioritize those not yet committed to Jesus as well as those who already are. And that's not a new emphasis. It's not something that I've come up with for the 21st century and the secular context we're now clearly in. Even if you go back almost 200 years, the Victorian Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, famously said this, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. And we know that church in that era was phenomenally successful at bringing many people to know Christ. Well, I wonder whether that approach and that flexibility was a major explanation. But the problem, of course, is that not all church members in all churches embrace this. Instead, instead tempted to prioritize their own preferences over reaching the lost. The same opposition Jesus himself faced as he prioritized the non-religious of the day, which he did time and time again. So in this church, following Jesus' example, here are some of the decisions that we've taken. First, we ensure that our services are designed to reach those without a Christian background, as well as those who are at least in the 1030 services, aiming to be accessible to all. We try and explain what we're doing so no visitor feels excluded or confused. We try and avoid Christian language at least that which isn't understood by those outside the church. We've created an attractive physical environment that makes non-churchgoers feel comfortable by replicating other places that they like to go. And our cafe um, in the back of the church is a big, big part of that. And it's really worked with particularly younger people, helping them feel welcomed and at home, like the sofa at the back as well. And we make sure we explain the gospel, the good news regularly, so that those exploring faith have many opportunities to respond. We prioritize ways of reaching out beyond the church building, investing heavily in mission in this country and overseas, in schools work, in Alpha, running Alpha regularly, in a modern, attractive branding and website. And here's the thing I particularly want to stress for the benefit of those whose preferences are challenged by our strategy. All statistics show that the majority of people who come to faith do so at one of four stages of life, as children. So we invest heavily in children's ministry, especially through Bethany and the ministry she leads. As teenagers, so we invest heavily in our youth ministry, particularly through Sophie and Joe. As students and young adults, so we run groups for that age group, giving them the opportunities for friendship and discipleship that they need. And fourth, as new parents coming back to church for the sake of their children, well, we work really hard at reaching and integrating and growing them as well. And that means that they get a lot of attention, at least at those times when they're present. It means we include music and other elements of the services that we know that they value and they enjoy and respond to. We make sure, particularly when children are in this room with us, that they always feel included and valued and engaged. And that includes all age services, which virtually all recent research shows is one of the easiest ways to draw in new families. Now, none of this is at the exclusion of other groups' preferences and worship styles. But it is an important element. With a real intentionality 
around those that we're particularly trying to reach, the next generation, so that there actually is a long-term future for the church. So if you're wondering why we take the decisions that we take, that is the explanation. But we do it supplementing that with many other activities and services like Oasis, the Oasis Coffee Morning, the 9 o'clock congregation, the new Friday film afternoons, and many other things, all clearly designed to reach older age groups as well in ways that work for them. And I should also say it's why we're really prioritizing the untapped potential of Heather's side as well, and why I'm investing my time and Heather's time, particularly when she comes, will be focused on that. Because it's where so many families and younger folk particularly can afford and choose to live, including so many of our own. And the best way to reach them is by collaborating and helping Heatherside Church so that together we can make our Christian presence felt in that area. The potential is enormous, but only in partnership can it be fulfilled. And more generally, it means two further things for me as our vicar. I will encourage and teach about sharing our faith on a regular basis. And I'll take a lead with things like Alpha or our Ukrainian outreach or men's curries or the film afternoon, which are all designed to try and draw in people from outside the church as well as those within. Because I'm trying to lead by example for the rest of the church to follow. For I want to do what I can So you'll be inspired to do what you can as we all follow our own individual callings to grow the kingdom of God. So it's with that individual personal application that I want to finish. Now I've shared some of the church's strategy, but what about your life, your priority, your focus and your goal? Is reaching others for Jesus what you're living for? What are your opportunities? What has God laid on your heart? And what intentionality, what prayerfulness, what single-mindedness, and what flexibility do you need? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't expect anyone to say that it's their sole focus to the exclusion of anything else. But that doesn't change the fact that Paul is our role model Our church is named after him, after all. And he wrote most of the New Testament. And he urges the Corinthians later in this letter to imitate him as he imitates Christ. The implication being so too should we. And with many of the other apostles also dying for the sake of spreading that mission, it begs the deeply challenging question, how important is the mission of Jesus to us? As Jesus himself put it, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. He wasn't giving us gardening advice. This is about people coming to know him and about the holiness of our lives, reflecting that and bearing witness to his transforming power and love. So Paul understood it, 
as did so many of his converts in the early church. The Victorians, for what it's worth, understood it as they evangelized their own societies, transformed the conditions of the poor, and took the good news of Jesus to the world. And Christians in the developing world today understand it as they reach out in witness, grow their churches rapidly, despite the persecution and poverty that they face. So what about us? Is that your ambition for your own future and that of this church? Well, the good news is that even if it isn't, and we all default to that, don't we? We all take our eye off the ball. But we can change it, even if we feel we're not there right now. And we can do it in two simple ways. By turning back to God and his priorities, making his heart our own afresh and by offering all that we have back to him so that's what we're going to do right now first in a prayer of confession and then in a song of response but first i want us just to take a moment of silence and just to invite god to speak into where you're at and what he's calling you to do Building on those prophetic words we've already heard, let's listen to him again now.